Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and in the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes, and the artwork is by Kayla Sanner. Well, we appreciate you guys joining us today. Um, We were discussing discipleship. Mm -hmm. And so with what's going on in our world around us today, we really felt like it would be tone deaf to come in here and move along our our path as though um, nothing outside these walls was really going on. And so we're really shifting on the fly a little bit. We don't have a script. There is no script. We've got our Bibles, and we've got the fact that we we are doing our very best to follow Jesus by faith, mm-hmm. and and we want to talk about it. And um, and I think if theology in the dirt meant anything, it kind of means this that we kind of have to wallow around in our world and make sense of it. So um, if there is discipleship, uh, boy, we're going to try it today, right? And so, um, guys, if y'all don't mind, I really, Amos has been good for me the past few days. Mm -hmm. Um, Amos really speaks to to our our situation well. And this passage, particularly in Amos 5, verse 15, helped, I think, encapsulate something I tried to say to our people by a little video Sunday evening. uh, And uh, this this really spoke, and it's hate evil love good, and establish justice in the gate, it may be that Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Uh, That helped me to um, kind of get past spin Mm -hmm. because of the temptation to find a side of the narrative and jump on it. Yeah. Um, and we all know how powerful narrative is. God is a God of words. He speaks. He uses language. And he writes the story of history, yeah. the gospel. And so narrative is powerful innately. And as image bearers, we have the capacity to see narrative, tell stories. And that's why we're engrossed by them. And that's why uh, good, bad, indifferent tell stories. They write narratives. They speak narratives. And, and I think uh, those who pull the strings know that narrative is powerful. You control the narrative, you control mm-hmm. the people. Yeah. And as followers of Jesus, I, I can't, my job is to reject the narrative that is opposite of God's narrative mm-hmm. and be on his narrative. Yeah. And I desperately want us to try to just figure that out a little bit. How do we hear his narrative, his heart? And, and he says here to hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. So. Um, Keith, your thoughts, and and I we'll bring up some specifics. I want to yeah. talk about George Floyd. I want to talk about riots. I want to talk about COVID mm-hmm. um, and the blending mm-hmm. of these things and uh, the ignoring of some of them now. And what do you hear? And so, Keith, yeah. what are some of your thoughts this morning? Well, you know the when you have conversations like this, sometimes there's an elephant in the room that it's like, what exactly are we talking about? Are we talking yeah. about we talking about uh, good and evil. We talking about um, good. Uh, you know, are we talking about good public health? Are we talking about law enforcement? What we, you know, it's like it's at least at, to some degree we're talking about race yeah. and these issues. So, right. yeah. um, how those things play in. So I don't want to assume that folks know what we mean by what you know. There's a lot going on right yeah. now. That's um, right. And so, yeah, when it comes to narrative. We know that for a fact that I can tell, you can tell a story, I can tell a story, and you can tell a story. We've all told the truth 
And we can present that story in very, very different ways. And so everybody who's telling the story, even Moses, fun that when you talk about the Pentateuch, you're going, Moses included this because. Right. Moses is trying to shape, he's, he's framing this story in a way that will help us see the glory of God. Yeah. And of course, the divine author is doing the same thing. Right. So, um, I, I, you know, for me as a believer, I want to make sure that I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind, because this is so unscripted, is I think we have to, as, as believers, we have to reject the, the constant pressure to tell a story as a manipulative tool, right? Right. So when you say to me, hey, man, what happened yesterday? I have to always be aware that I'm going to, I'm going to be, have a tendency to tell you what happened yesterday in a way that you'll view this, the events from the same mountaintop I view them from. I want you to see it the way I see it. Right. I want, I want, you to, you. I want to convince you right. that even though the story is here, there's a whole other set of principles yeah. I'm trying to get you to believe right. using this to- story as a tool. Yeah. I think we have to reject that yeah. as, as Christians. I don't mean that we are going to ever arrive and get to a place where we, we never do that. Sometimes we want to do it. And so um, w- one thing that, that I talk about when, when we're talking about management at, at work is there's a difference between management and manipulation, right? Right. So it's okay for me to tell you a narrative and try to take you somewhere with that narrative. Like, we're going to do that. I'm going to constantly be trying to influence people, right. um, hopefully for the gospel. Right. But I think it, it, it goes, it's management when you know where I'm trying to take you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. When I go ahead and say up front, yeah. look, dude, this is my perspective on this story. Let me tell you where and why. Right? It's manipulation when you don't know I'm trying to take you there. Mm-hmm. So I'm withholding facts and details. Right. So that I can get you to a place and I have dragged you there at that point. Right. That's manipulation. And so just for starters, when we're sharing stories, when we're telling, um, when we're talking about the scriptures, when I'm telling Marcia about where I, where I, you know, where have you been? Well, I need to tell her everywhere I've been. Right. Right. Yeah. Everywhere. Not yeah. just the places I want her to know where I've been or go, look, I'll tell you where I've been, but I'm not going to tell you everywhere. Right. But I don't get the option to just pick and choose bits and pieces of the story so that yeah, I can good. essentially corner you into believing something. Yeah, that's good. So that's. When we're, you know, narrative, that's starting point for me. Absolutely. That's huge. That's huge. Less. I mean, I think the only thing that, that helps us to make sense of uh, the insanity of the world, um, and this is not just in, in the midst of this crisis. I mean, this crisis is, uh, is visceral yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the way that it, um, it, it hits us at the core of who we are. Right. Uh, as a nation, um, as a society, and it's on the heels of even more, uh, you know, on the heels of, of what COVID has done for us in exposing um, privilege and non-privilege mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, risk. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, that's, that's something that we have to talk about in the midst of this. Um, but I, I think to just pull it back and say what is at stake here is that we are a nation who has been shaped by narratives that are contrary to the grand narrative of, of the word. Yeah. And uh, that, that narrative, like our only hope actually uh, in the midst or, or to come through 
the crises that we're in the midst of, and I say crises because there's many of them, um, the, the, the degeneration of our society is to reshape our society with the only narrative that matters. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I would say that <clears throat> the, it is, it is, uh, perhaps un-American to say, um, the constitution is fundamentally a racist document, mm. um, at its core. Um, but it is, uh, when we have in our document a three-fifths personhood of a huge majority of our, of our population, um, and that is in our, in our founding document, that we will count these people as less than human because of their race, that is something that requires immediate national repentance of the violation of the image of God in all people. Mm, right. That is what the church needs to do to respond um, in the midst of this, mm -hmm. is that our forefathers were fundamentally wrong, and um, let their sin not be upon us. May we repent. Yeah. Uh, because that, that grand story of Scripture is that everyone um, from every nation under, under heaven is created in the image of God for relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, until we get back to that as the fundamental basic, um, and then we're willing to, to recognize um, that the repentance has to be culturally wholesale repentance of, mm. of what uh, we have deep-seated within us, then we're not going to get any, anywhere. I would say uh, probably most of the people that's going to watch this and hear what we're talking about here, you probably just blew their worldview apart with the statement about our Constitution, and there's probably some that's never read it and wrestled yeah, through some of those difficulties. Yeah. And, 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 and there's probably, let me just rip the Band-Aid off here, um, <laughs> that, that there is systemically, inherently, in some of the things we say and believe nationally that are contrary to a Christian worldview. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard to talk about our founding being expressly uniquely 100% biblically christian yeah. like it, what it says in the constitution versus what we believe it just doesn't match yeah it doesn't match and that's uncomfortable for people yeah well I, you know we have not we haven't rehearsed this so yeah. I, <laughs> totally <laughs> unscripted and i i'm pretty sure that i've got different positions on these on some of these things than, than both of you guys um so um, we, I think, and, but this is what happens, right? I mean, yeah, the, the fear right. that this might happen is what keeps us from having these conversations. Mm. Um, I do think it's important to say that our, our whole constitution isn't racist. There are, it was written by it, people who would allow the three fifths terminology right. in there right. must have been racist. Right. Right. But a lot of what is there, I still think it's one of the greatest documents that have ever been written. Sure. Can it be improved on? Yes. Was that blatantly awful? Right. Like, I, I, it's hard to even read it without feeling shame. Yeah. Sure. Well, you can't read it without feeling shame. I mean, I didn't write it. Right. But I'm ashamed that those guys wrote it. Right. Um, I guarantee you today. Yeah. If I'm on a board and they try to put that in the document, I'm out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No chance yeah. in hell. Yeah. Or heaven. 
I'm going to sit and go, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. And sign off. Yeah, let's sign off. Yeah. Um, well, see, that even brings up, which is not part of our discussion, constitutionally, is it a living document or is it, you know, is it static, right? Well, so, it's, it's not static right. because they had the wisdom to give us the ability to amend it. To amend yes. it. That's exactly right. And we did. And we did. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and some of the conversation is um, where, uh, well, and, and it really goes that one at the heart. This isn't why I mentioned this, but right. I wanted to talk about love a lot because yeah, when we talk about things like justice and good and evil, right? Um, when we're hating evil and loving good, well, that's not as clear cut as you might think. Um, because what's evil? What is evil? Right. What is There's good? a whole bunch of folks. We've already said right ten dozen things that they feel like are evil. Right. Yeah. In our conversations about discipleship. Right. There are things that that um, that we feel like are good that that aren't. It's not clear. And so when Jesus says, "And love your neighbor as yourself," well, th- y'all probably there are things I want of me. I expect from me that you guys might not accept that if I ex- asked it from you. Like I think loving me requires things of me that y'all might go do, not me. So loving you like I love myself is already assuming that right. y'all are okay with how I love me or how you parent. You know, I, I, I know you and I are on pretty much the same page because mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about it. Right. A lot of folks wouldn't, would feel like the things I require of my kids is dang near child abuse. I think it's, I think it's ultimately for their greatest good by yeah. a long shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, these terms matter. Yeah. And, it, and when we say, I want justice, I want righteousness, and I want good, in some sense, we haven't said much. Right. Yeah. The, what is justice? The what devil is, righteousness, is in the details. What is good. Absolutely. So anyway. No, that, that's huge. And, and I think that's part of what this wallowing around in this issue is, is we have to biblically, what does God mean when God says, hate evil? What is yeah. evil? I mean, and, and uh, knowing God, J.I. Packer, this, it, basically it's a, a putting together of several essays, articles he had written for several magazines over the years. And I think it's a Christian classic, Love Knowing God. And he talks yeah. about in there that, as one gets to know God, you begin to see the way God sees, you think the way God mm-hmm. thinks, and feel the way God feels. And I think this is a discipleship issue that as I'm growing more into Christ's likeness, I begin to see evil as God sees evil. Yes. And, and clearly we would say that's because we see it through the lens of Scripture. Mm-hmm. We see good the way God sees good. We define it His way. And that's part of where people are on the spectrum of discipleship. There's some people who are seeing evil, and and it's probably like not evil, like Jolly, I can't believe the way you, you treat your kids. That's evil. Right. No, that's baseline how to be human. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it's how does what is evil and what is good and how do we propagate that? So, Les, why don't you tell us what is evil <laughs> and what is good? <laughs> exactly. Let me clear it up. Clear it up for us. Let me clear it up. Clear it up. Um, I think a huge part, uh, I mean, again, it's, uh, it has to do with reference points. Uh, if our if our reference point is ourselves, which uh, which a lot of us live that way, uh, then we are going to have very fuzzy concepts of what is evil. Um, and but if our reference point is a high and holy God, 
and what he has to say, then we're going to have a lot of things that will become crystal clear about what evil is. Mm. I think one of the things um, is that when God decided to create human beings in his image, he set the ethic of how human interaction ought to occur and therefore the basis of all justice and all right action toward one another, uh, he set it in himself. So by creating people in his image, then the mistreatment of another human being is a violation against God himself and the image of God in the other person. That helps us to understand uh, why our reactions to the treatment of another human being in a way that dehumanizes them or just rails against the image of God in them, uh, that helps us to understand the violence of poverty enacted against somebody um, or choking somebody to death by kneeling on them. Why is that so wrong? It's because that was an act against God himself. Yeah. And I think um, that, that, that has to, when, when we come back to that, then we understand why it matters, mm-hmm. yeah. why we have to stand up for, for certain things, and why things that, um, it gives us the basis for even making the decisions within, uh, of uh, how, how ought the trial to take place. Mm, right. Is this third degree or is this first degree murder? Right. Um, and, um, those, you know, is this, is, is this a homicide or is this a murder case? Yeah, right. And that, those are kinds of things that we need to come back to, uh, to a, a biblical ethic that helps us to understand how ought we to think about these things mm-hmm. and how ought we to, as a culture and a society to, to address them. Right. Well, and, and that's where Jesus, when Jesus summarized the totality of the law, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, he's broken down the 10. Yeah. And, and you read the 10, and it starts with the theology. I'm yes. Yahweh. I'm the I am. I'm, I'm, and, and, and basically defines for us how we define idolatry. Yeah. And I would, I would begin to argue that the very root of evil is the departure from, in our theology, as Yahweh being God. Mm-hmm. Which is why idolatry is such a big deal, because you got all these little G demonic entities now setting themselves up as God from the snake in the garden. And the ethic off of that is no longer love God because God loves and God loves. He created and loves and sustains and supports and flourishes Mm -hmm. all these good things. Now it's no love me and I murder. Love me. I kill. Love me. I impoverish. Love Mm -hmm. me. I hurt. And so evil at its root is, is, is the misplacement of worship onto something other yeah. than Yahweh mm-hmm. who said he is God. Sure. And, and you begin to work off of that and you begin to see there is a clear Christian ethic that's not hard to follow, truthfully. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to get it out into the open, I mean, one thing that isn't loving is to put your knee on someone's neck, listen to them say they can't breathe. Right. And long after... They've stopped talking, refuse to take your knee off their neck. Right, right. Um, yeah. That's... Yeah, evil. I, I don't have... I mean, evil's the best representation yeah. of it. Like, I don't know what's going on inside of a person's mind. And, and again, we'll, we'll hear the full story. 
Right. I mean, it's, we, we have to be cautious. There have been times when things seem clear that they weren't. But that, that is unacceptable in a way that there, there aren't strong enough words for it. Right. you got to think what's going on in the minds of others, other agents there who are watching this happen. That, do, that don't respond. Because yeah, right. I mean, I because one of the false narratives, either you're for law enforcement or you're against law enforcement. And my brother-in-law is a is an agent of the yeah. state of Georgia and the yeah. federal government, and he carries a weapon, mm-hmm. he carries a badge, and 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 he's good, and he fears God, and he cares about people, right. and 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 I love him and support. Him. I'm mm-hmm. pro him. I'm right. pro them. I'm also against him kneeling on somebody's knee and killing them unnecessarily, right? right? And so this false narrative that you have to pick a side here, and I think God's going, look up at me. Look up at me and define what is good and evil based on who I am Mm -hmm. and how I created. Genesis 1 and 2 are huge in in developing that ethic. Mm -hmm. Is Here's who he is, and here's what he did. Here's the contrast of that in the garden. One killed, one brought life. Mm -hmm. That helps me. I think... I think, though, in this discussion, like, we we can go on about um, dissecting and um, and analyzing where we've gone wrong as a culture um, for a long time. I think there is there is an important aspect of looking back that requires that we go through processes of confession Mm -hmm. as a society. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important for the church actually to lead in that. Um, if you look at societies that have attempted to heal, uh, like South Africa, um, the reconciliation uh, committees where people were, were allowed to come out and, and speak about the violence that was perpetrated against them um, and then and, and be heard by members of the other race who um, were, they were able to listen to each mm-hmm. other and therefore were able to come to a place of deeper understanding of their mutual humanity, um, that, that's something that actually the church needs to lead out in. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our role in society, um, is to begin to shape the dialogue around, uh, around the Word of God and to lead out in that. That's how we need to engage. Mm-hmm. Um, because really, <clears throat> when we could talk about um, the that we go to look at this as at, on a global perspective, are we having um, higher incidences of violence among law enforcement because we have um, sown the seeds of war all across the planet? And so those people leave their uh, profession as soldiers and now come back into law enforcement. And so they're taking those war, uh, those practices of what they do in war and bringing it back into law enforcement. Like that may be one avenue, like this is something that we've sown into our society systemically. We could look at um, the Constitution and, and the, the racism that goes back to our English forefathers and French forefathers of the slave trade. I mean, we could look at all kinds of things, but I think when we look forward, um, these things should not surprise us because evil entered into the world. We have an enemy. And his, his primary strategy is, um, of spiritual warfare is to block the barriers of gospel transference from one, one community to another community. Right. 
And the more, the more roadblocks he can create, the more barriers of crossing from us to them that he can create, the more he can contain gospel mm-hmm. spread. Yeah, right. And so we have that also that we have to consider that we have an enemy. He's smart. He's, he's an incredible strategist. And the more that he can entrench us in them, the less likely gospel spread will happen. Mm-hmm. So the only answer then is being more gospel. Right. Because gospel transcends us and them because it gets us back to the fundamentals of God created us in his image for relationship with him and for relationship with each right. other. Right. And, and, and the practice of that means crossing cultures. We talk about Absolutely. cross-cultural work and, and the barrier of cultures and, and, and the various laws and attitudes that a culture sets up that may be a barrier to the good news. And I think one of the things coming to mind is, as you were talking about that was the gospel of reconciliation. Paul uses mm, that language. Yeah. That there is innately because of sin a broken, a separation. Mm. You see it at Babel by language, separated, but God overcomes by calling one to go be an emissary to those peoples. Yeah. And, and so there's this, from the beginning, there is a call to cross cultures for the gospel, but one of those barriers would be language. One would be, uh, you're, you're, you're a different culture for me. You speak a different yeah. language. You're a different color. No. Right. But the answer is yes. And part of that reconciliation is being able to listen, to know what to say and how to say it, how to speak, in such a manner that this good news of who God is can cross into that culture and bring reconciliation. It's such a big issue in the New Testament. It's Jew and Gentile, right? Right. It's uh, and and we see it around the world. It's it's Hutu Tutsi. Yeah. Um. It's black white. It's Native American white. Which there's a there's a nice little one hanging out in the corner, right? That that doesn't get talked about. Yeah. Some of my familial history and past. Um. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. So those things are there, and until we recognize they're there and speak to them and, and let someone who's in the minority say and then yeah. gain understanding, we continue to just throw rocks at each other. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's important also, I can't remember if we've talked about it here or not, but I don't have to leave the U.S. to find someone who's different from me culturally. I don't even have to leave my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are people that look a lot like me um, that if you were to see us sitting side by side at a restaurant, right. you would assume we're culturally the same, when that would be a bad assumption. Yeah. Um, there, there are people who may look like me that don't understand anything about my background and where I came from and how it is that absent from the regenerative work of Christ in my heart and absent from my understanding of, of the scriptures and the biblical worldview, I view the world in some really screwed up way, you know? Right. And so when I sit down to share the gospel with someone, if I assume that because they're English-speaking American, that, that we're sort of seeing things, we're, we're viewing this whole world thing, this right. whole, that's why worldview discussions are so important to me. To assume that they're coming at the world the same way I am right. would be a major mistake. Right. Um, so, um, you know, the time that I spent in, in Africa, and you, all y'all have similar experiences, you got folks who are hating on one another because they come from a different tribe. I can't tell the difference. Right. Yeah, the guys Michael Badriaki and Arthur Tuhumwiri can tell the difference. Mm. I mean, they don't even have to have a conversation with these people, and they're like, "No, he's from the south. He's he's from the southwestern part of the country." Yeah, and I'm like, "What's that mean?" <laughs> right. And you know, and those they, guys—they all know what it means. They know yeah. what it means. <clears throat> right. You know, 
or he's from those tribes up the cattle tribes up in the northeastern part of the country. Right. You know. Right. So it's like I think, and I, one of the, that's one of the things I wish the Gospel Project would. I think they're trying to figure that out. But you look at people groups and right. languages, then you get to the U.S. We're such a melting pot. Right. You can't li- you can't lump us all in there together. Yeah. Because the cultures, ideas, and habits, and you know the way the way you view um, certain you know principles and institutions, we're all over the place. Yeah. And so what so what we do is we we try to do the hard work, and I, we when we get, when we become born again, mm-hmm. when I give my life to the Lord, I have to tell myself, okay, everything's on the table right. to reinterpret. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is a way in which I could have missed all this. But because of the Holy Spirit and because of what's in the Word and God's given us the manual, now I can start building now my worldview mm. on something that helps me see that, man, everything that I would have believed, even about God that I would have believed growing up in church, is nonsense. Right. Hold everything loosely right. until you can confirm it in the Scriptures. And that includes my relationships with you yeah. and you and everybody else in the world. Yeah. Um, so that my identity now is as a Christian. Yeah. It's not yeah. as an American. Yeah. Not as a white guy. It's not as a. It's not as anything. Right. Yeah. Now I can't functionally live without making some associations. Right. But at the end of the day, I am. I have more in common with my brothers and sisters all over the world who are committed to Christ. Yeah. Than I do the guy who lives next door to me if he's secular. Right. Yeah. Period. Right. Right. Um, well, Paul. A lot of commentators in Ephesians two refer to this new personhood. Mm-hmm. As the third race, um, which we clearly, clearly know, there's more than yeah. race, you know, more than three races. But his point is, we now transcend that as followers of Christ. Right. So Jew and Gentile together now are one. Yeah, and he has broken down that hostile wall of division. And I think where we where where I wrestle with defining evil is what are those things we all know we believe we're one in Christ if we're in mm-hmm. Christ. But why is it not practiced, right? Mm. Why is it not manifested um, more clearly, uh, more robustly, more numerically uh, than, than we see, right? Because race is a challenge for us. It's right now the, the root, and I think, of what we see in rioting right now. We even see the disparity in coronavirus numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. more in one race than another. Right. Why don't we see as followers of Christ more equality in our manifestation of what we would all die for? I would die for that truth. Yeah. Um, where is it not landing? Which truth is that you're describing you'd die for? That we are one in Christ, the oh, yes. unity of the universal yeah. body of Christ and the practical unity of the local fellowships. Like maybe we could say multi-ethnic mm-hmm. because I think there are people who take multi-ethnic and they make it a uh, they make it something maybe that it's not. They beat people up with it. Yeah. Um and I, and I'll probably catch some crap for saying that, but I do believe we should be a multi-ethnic fellowship because mm-hmm. theologically we are. Right. But practically why isn't that manifest yeah. their culture. We know their cultural preferences. Preferences, yeah. and so where where are we missing the blending of those into one body? Yeah. What are some things that you guys see that we? And you're you're talking about practically practically why our churches yeah racially segregated not, segregated yeah. essentially not diverse yeah. and we Race, continue racially to, and culturally segregated yeah 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 because I, I would say I would say if if God is who He says He is in the Scriptures. 
and he has made a people under the headship of Christ that unites us. Is it not evil to not practice that? Yeah. Um, or is it not evil? Is it just an okay, eh, it's, just yeah. a, eh, it's just a preference yeah, issue? Yeah, I think, I think you could go either way. I think it, it would be hard necessarily to... Um, trying to, you know, th- there are so many issues in our faith that we sort of have to hold loosely, right? Um, there are things I'm passionate about that I think, man, I could build a case. I, I right. could build a one-hour a one lecture <laughs> right. that I could be logged down. And I know for a fact that that's just not, I can't do that. You right. know? I, but that's how passionate I am about it. Right. Um, I think maybe this is one of those things because I've, my, my friend Michael Bobiaki, who's Ugandan, that's in the States now, he's been in the States for a while. Um, he recognizes that, man, there, there really are, as an African guy, Coming into the U.S., um, I see the world differently than African Americans do. We have a lot of things that are in common, but we, he said, and he'll say that worship, like who I choose to worship with and how we choose to worship with, um, if we, in some sense, there are preferences. I like, I like the way you preach. You have a certain style. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. It's great. There are some people who would go, not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who go, not yeah, my yeah, style. Yeah. And, and I'm talking, you know, folks <laughs> right. who are black and white and yeah. green and orange and all in between. That's right. Just don't, per- don't prefer it. Mm-hmm. So should they come listen to you? Well, maybe not every Sunday. But there's, there's got to be a way, though. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way, though. Right. That, um, that my family interacts more with right. the African-American community. And i got to be honest with you, man. I long for that. Right. Yeah, I, I do, and I, maybe maybe some of the my, some folks that I that I'm in in society with and school with who are African American. I don't. I'm not a social guy. Um, I'm more of an introvert, so I don't have a ton of friends anyway. I friend I have you know twenty year relationships, people I've known for a long, long time. But I have utterly failed. I'll be honest with you. I have utterly failed at integrating my social world. Um, I, I, we left for Louisville to go to seminary, and I right. told Marsha, I was like, Marsha, this is it. This is our chance. We don't know anybody in Louisville. We will have African-American people in our home on a regular basis, mm-hmm. and we will we'll do that. And I couldn't pull it off. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying it was right. nobody was friendly to me. Right. I'm just saying it's not as, it's, it's complicated yeah. in ways I don't understand. Right. Yeah, I I agree. I I say the same thing. I try, uh, and and I make the effort. I mean, my home is blended <laughs> right. due to that. Yeah, but but that has not lended itself to be an easy shoehorn into yeah. more. And I have relationships that I'm. I have a friend I want to come and 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 uh, we work together in our city. He's preached in our church. Mm-hmm. An African American older gentleman who lived through the civil rights movement. And and we want to try to get our churches together to worship together. And it's like pulling teeth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and so part of me goes okay there and I I don't want to pass the buck off as though you know there's it's satanic but maybe I'm not passing the buck maybe it is literally there is warfare going on yeah. that puts up barriers mm-hmm. to stop this a missed phone call a missed text mm-hmm. or out of town at the wrong time and and different different schedules mm-hmm. and plans because we try. Yeah. And 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 I think in our fellowship we've done a pretty good job. We're better than we used to mm-hmm. be. We're working to that end, but it's hard. It is difficult. And they're gonna they're gonna be some people who say you just have to do it and you have to. 
put up with the whatever you're going to lose in the process. And then part of me goes, well, is that reckless toward other people as well? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I don't, you know, I think about our fellowship, and we don't have a big fellowship, but we, we know a lot of the folks that are in mm-hmm. our church, and, and I'd be shocked if there were, and it, right. I could be wrong. I mean, generally, I could be wrong. I'd be shocked if we would lose folks right. in an effort to, right. to, try to, to try to do more of what we're describing. Right. It's just there's something about it, man, and it, the, maybe spiritual warfare is the answer. Right. I mean, my I, my nephew is in Assembly of God Church, South Atlanta, and man, they're they're extremely integrated body. Mm, right. Um, but they, um, yeah. I mean, you could throw out why you think that's true, but it's right. it's just a, it's a wonderful thing to see. Right. I would love to be a part of a body like that, but right. anyway, yeah. I don't know. I I want to come back to what we've been talking about the last few weeks and say I think this is a discipleship issue. Mm. It's a discipleship issue because um, we can talk about the need to lead this from the front, mm-hmm. uh, and that's true. There is a responsibility of the elders of a body to to lead in the stewardship of that body. Um, but if if the the culture of a church does not um, does not disciple the the onus of responsibility upon every believer. To live a life that is uh, is shaped by a kingdom mindset, which transcends all of the things, all the barriers that we're talking about, race and gender and um, ethnicity, um, like kingdom transcends that. Like we are citizens of one single mm-hmm. kingdom. We are a, a united people, a yeah. royal priesthood. That's who we are. And when we we say this is who you are, and uh, every uh, every member of um, of a community of believers is a disciple making discipler, um, and that's what it means to be a member. And everyone is is trained in the fundamentals of that, and able to uh, to go out and share their faith clearly and articulately, and invite people. Um, and then you know maybe you're you're working within your normal. You start off working as as Jesus trained. The disciples, when he said sent them out in uh, in Luke nine and Luke ten, he sent only go to the lost sheep of Israel first. Go to your same people first. Get your get your feet under you with that, and then he sends them to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth um, later on. And there's a progression to that, but we we don't even have our people doing the basics um, with with going out and sharing their faith. And, and being kingdom-minded. I think when you start to share your faith, actually you realize that, um, that there are things that transcend. Mm. Um, when, you, when you focus on um, internal, uh, personal growth uh, as the primary thing, mm. it is, it's, it, it's, it's, it's essential, but it's not the only aspect mm. of being a disciple. Right. Um, right. And I, I think... Uh, we have more confidence in the gospel. We have more um, assurance of the authority that we have as ones who are members of the King of all kings. Um, and we, we actually will, uh, I think, see that the church change and society will change when the church ceases to slumber uh, and actually begins to be active members uh, of... Um, of being sent by the king. 
right. um, as right. ministers of reconciliation, right. um, ambassadors of nothing less than the message of heaven. Yeah. It baffles me. I watch my wife's team that she she's a director of outreach for the YMCA, Roman Floyd County, and she has a, a team of people who work um, summer staff and, and then during the year. And it is one of the most beautifully ethno uh, ethno. Um, oh, I'm, I'm messing up a word here. It's a uh, multi-ethnic. Mm. There's the word there I'm looking go. for. <laughs> and, and almost without effort. Mm-hmm. Hispanic, actual African, African-American, South American. I mean, on this team. Mm. And they're moving toward a common purpose. And I have this conversation with her periodically. But why can't we, mm-hmm. who have a greater mission, I mean, no offense, this, your, your mission's pretty good, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but we have a much greater mission that that fits under, and, and we can't seem to mobilize around. Because yeah. it's, like, it's not like it's just a demographic issue, and we're just not enough people yeah. who are non-white. They're... Yeah. We struggle. It's a it's a legitimate struggle. I mean, and I think there are practical things. You have to have multi ethnic leadership. I've actually had a, an African American friend of mine say, "If you have an African American and a white guy, and the white guy is a better leader, don't choose the African American guy. That's not what you want to do. You're going to set him up for failure. Yeah. You're going to feed the narrative for yeah. some people who have evil intent, mm. and which is true. So so you don't just hire to hire. You want the right people, mm-hmm. and so it is a legitimate challenge of we want that to happen. We want to bridge that gap. But it is a legitimate challenge in how we're moving forward. We have that in our DNA. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of how we get over yeah, the hopes of those things. And I mean, you've went to, you've, goodness gracious, I mean, everybody listening to this don't know, does, they won't know all the lengths that our leadership has gone to, and it's particularly mm-hmm. you, to, to, to try to solve this problem. I mean, there, there's no lack of sincere, authentic longing for yeah. that right. in, our, in, in what we're doing. So it's not, it's right. not as simple as, you know, the church right. just needs to right. you know, get interested in this right. and then it'll happen. No, right. I mean, there's, there's things in play here that we, no one really understands. Right. Just, yeah. you know, keep praying and, yeah. and hoping for the best. Yeah. Well, we long to see, as, mm-hmm. as it's the gospel of reconciliation, that we would see, we see it around the world. We see yeah. fellowship between uh, people from multiple backgrounds. We mm-hmm. want to see it here because there is a legitimate evil. There's legitimate darkness, and it hides in the corners. Uh, and some of it's our conversation. Some of it, we don't have those hard conversations. Yeah. And, uh, and I think part of what we're trying to do here is have that hard conversation. What are mm-hmm. some of these difficult things we have to roll through? Mm-hmm. And if we can have it together, then we can have it with a, a Hispanic brother or sister. We can have yeah. it with an African-American brother or sister. So um, here's a question. Um, mm-hmm. If to what degree can um, to what degree can a non-African American individual who's in leadership um, be involved in and speak into um, solutions in any community, like um, whether whether I'm you know heading over back over to Uganda or Kenya to, to work on some things over there that I feel like there's just where there's a section and the gospel's not there or whatever. And we're trying to take the gospel there. Can, can a, can a person who, this is three white males. Yeah. Right. Sitting around the table and much of the, in much of the West, we're already discounted. Like we, we just don't understand. We can't understand. Right. We can't know. We're so 
Seriously, and, and it's true. We're so biased, hmm. and we have so many unknown biases, which I, I, I grant. I grant that I, I'm biased in ways I don't even know I'm biased. I understand that. I sure. acknowledge that. Right. But there's a way in which we can't speak into this conversation without immediately being sort of go, uh, of course he would say that. Right. Um, that, to me, is damaging to the body. Um, so, so it, because as I'm sitting here watching three white guys talk about this issue without a black guy at the table, yeah, yeah. I'm going, are we even gaining any yeah. ground here? It feels disingenuous. Yeah, right? are we are yeah. we are we getting anywhere? Are those guys even interested in what we have to say? Right. Um, other than we love you, um, we we want to be around you guys, and but like, what other role do we have in the community? Like one one of the things we've talked about is um, mm-hmm. when we're dealing with uh, dealing with the, the poverty in Rome is sure we want to give folks food, but we also want to talk about the gospel and talk about gospel um, healthy gospel life behaviors. Right, right, right. Not to say that anybody is completely in the position they're in because of every bad decision they've made, but sure. the truth is we are called to live a certain way. Right. There are certain standards that the Bible sets for us. Can we go into that community, teach life skills from the scriptures, including the gospel, first, and say, look, without the gospel, yeah. you, you're sort of spinning your wheels in a way that can be accepted because, you know, there's, there's a right. sense in which that's called the white savior complex. Right. We think we've got the answers. Right. I mean, I, I'm not interested in your answers. Right. That's a, that's a big old elephant. I yeah, threw no, it out on the table, and no, it, it's important. I think my mind is instantly drawn to Acts, where you have Jewish people who preach the gospel to Gentiles, and relationships are formed, and that, yeah. and that, that now coalition yeah. of of Paul. I mean, Paul talks about the names of people that are working with him. They're not Jewish, no, but it started, and they're, and they're not even. They're not even all in the same from the same part of the world. You yeah. know, you've got some yeah. that are Galatian and some that are Macedonian, and they're right. from yeah. from they're the fruits from all of these places where he went. Yeah, and they they join in that right. Ephesian team, and they're like from right. from five different places, yeah. and then throw right. throw in a Roman on you know a probably Latin speaking Jew from the other half of the planet. Right, um, and well, that's and, part of his team. And God didn't choose a Greek person to be the person who's going to take the gospel to the Greek. Right. Now, clearly, the, the strategy is to, is to share the gospel with Greek people and right. raise up Greek leaders. Right. But God never said, Paul, you're Jewish. You can't you, do this. You, don't, can't do you can't understand these people. Right, right. Yeah. So what you're going to have to do... He, he is placed that, on him the compulsion that he must go right, to them. Because he had this rich history... Right. Of understanding of Yahweh that now has been converted to the right understanding of Yahweh through the grace of Christ. Right. He's got a message they don't have. Right. Yeah. Right. And being Jewish was a barrier for him, but but God still called him to go do it. Yeah. So, and I I think what you have there is you had Paul, and this comes back to our DNA. We say KDSC. There was a sense in which Paul went not primarily in a professional function, but through through the tent making capacity that yeah. he had to have right. through through whatever means happened after he left um after his Damascus Road encounter mm-hmm. he begins to engage and 
in society as a member of it and gained a reputation as someone who was part of the fabric of this society. Mm-hmm. And and I think that allowed him um, a voice. He wasn't afraid to go to these places. He, he went right. where he was a minority and he had, he had some traction mm-hmm. in, in culture. And, and, and I think that birth relationships, and I see this in our city and our work in South Rome is it's not coming in and I'm your savior. It's I work with you. I'm in this mm-hmm. community. You trust me. And now you're listening to what I have to say. And so there's a give and play tactically sure. too. Yeah. I'm not coming in as a person who has all your answers for you, but I'm coming in as a person who does life with you here. And in that, there is a purchasing of credibility, maybe. Mm-hmm. You're not standing above me. You're standing with me. What do you have to say to me? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying we have to purchase the right to preach the gospel, yeah. but not at all. But there is a there is a interpersonal connection to being with yeah. that lends open ears to hearing why mm-hmm. you and care about me. Again, that's that reference point, right? Like apart from the mercy and grace of God, I am as lost as yeah. as a person of any race right. <laughs> or right. any position. Um, and I, I think like even, even the position from which we speak the gospel has to always be a position of humility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think that's a fundamental thing as, as someone who comes to someone else with like saying, let's get some societal practical solutions here. But let me understand you first. Like that's a position of Mm -hmm. humility. Um, I am not a a person who's superior. I am a Mm -hmm. person who desires um, because you're also created in the image of God to see your imago dei restored. Right. Right. Um, And that's first with the gospel. And it's also with everything that's transformative about Mm -hmm. society together being reshaped in the image of, of Christ, in, in the image of a people who are set apart, a royal priesthood. Mm. Um, and I think that's, that's part of why I keep coming back. The church's role is vital here. Yeah. Um, it, it has, we have to come back into that, the fullness, the, the assurance of the fullness of the authority of the, the spirit-filled Messiah mm. that we live in that age of the spirit-filled Messiah poured out on all flesh. Yeah. That's where we live. Yeah. And that's our hope. Yeah. Um, and until the church like embraces that birthright, then all of these ills of society, we're just going to sit back just like the rest of society and either rail against it um, and, and further cause division, or we're going to sit back um, and just throw up our hands in complacency. Yeah. Right. And neither one... Is is valid? I think that's where we are. So like, ah, it's nothing I can do. So I'm silent, or Ugh. we rail at it. Yeah. I, and and isn't and if if God is our standard, Jesus Jesus is that example because he crossed cultures. The eternal God took on flesh. That's the ultimate and, culture. Tra- yeah, that's <laughs> transcendence, the ultimate culture right? transcendence. Yeah. And he came and lived among us and showed us glory. And did these glorious things, and they believed in him. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. entered time and space to cross cultures and speak our language, wear our clothes, eat our food. And we saw, and when we saw, we you can't help. Mm-hmm. You, there's no option. You must believe. 
Peter, you want to go? You don't eat my flesh, drink my blood. Where else am I going to go? You got the words of life. Yeah. I mean, that, that's where it happened for Peter. Yeah. That's where it happened. But he, he entered, he crossed cultures and he paid the price for it. And maybe there's a lesson in it for us is if yeah. you're not going to be complacent and not going to rail at it, you need to cross over and be among and, and let glory be seen right. in the gospel. Is that a good place to take a break? I think it's a great place to take a break. Let's do this. Let's take a break. Then let's come back and have some 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 closing thoughts to wrap up because we're getting along in our time. Yeah. And so uh, we'll take a break and we'll come right back. All right, let's do this. Keith, why don't you start us off with some closing thoughts? Again, this wow. is totally unscripted and uh, we're all on the spot, but thoughts as we prepare to, to wrap up. Uh, our discussion, and I don't even know what to call it. I don't know what our title yeah. is, other than we're trying to talk about how we live as disciples of Christ in, in our turbulent uh, world we find ourselves in, and I'm not trying to be tone deaf. Yeah. What are some of your thoughts? So um, I think I would like to begin with acknowledging the fact that um, short of the grace of God, I'm deserving hell. Mm. and separation mm. and all these awful things because of um, my standing in Adam, my sin, my own personal sin. I'm just thankful. Mm. Right? So I view all of these conversations. I view when I'm watching the news and I'm watching these stories, and, and I'm just thankful that the Lord has helped me see who He is and that He's my only hope in the world. Um, second, I, with that comes a certain amount, or should come a certain amount of humility as we look out into the world and go, man, that guy needs the good news of the gospel. Mm. That lady, that kid, that, the answer to all these problems, and we've said it, but the answer to all these problems is that every single individual would see the world as, as or see the Lord for who he is, and then see the world through that, through who God is, mm. as I'm going to relate to each other. Right. Um, there aren't any social institutions, there aren't any social systems, there's no political systems that'll fix the problem. Yeah. It's a move of the Holy Spirit in the human heart. Yeah. Mm. That is the answer. Mm. Period. So what we should do then is share the gospel. Like we've got to share the gospel. Right. Um the guy whose knee is on George Floyd's neck, he needs the gospel. Yeah. George Floyd needs the gospel. The guy standing around the cameraman, everybody needs the gospel, right? right. That's the answer. Right. And so, um, I, you know, I guess, and so my, my heart, it just in closing, is I, I long to experience that gospel um, fellowship with every race, mm. including African-Americans that, that are in my life right now, but I don't spend enough time with. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, that, that's my longing, man. I, I long good. for it in the church. I long for it in my own personal life. I long for it um, for the country. I, I, you know, I don't know, man. That's, that's where I am. No, that's good. Thank you. Les, what are some of your thoughts? Mine are, are similar to Keith, and I want to end with a story um, that I hope brings, brings hope um, because I, I can look at the world. Um, we can watch you know, the TV uh, in these times and just be an abject uh, misery, um, just looking at the hopelessness of a world um, devolving 
uh, as it's given over to the sin um, that's inherent in it. Mm. Um, and I, I'm like, I just want to say, um, I, I just want to plead, may the people of God um, engage mm-hmm. this culture and the society all the more um, because the days are evil. Mm. Um, this is not a time to shrink back, to stay comfortable within our walls. Um, this is a time uh, all the more to press forward. Um, as, as we begin to see, <clears throat> whether it's with Me Too or <clears throat> Black Lives Matter, like these movements are places where the church actually must engage all the more. Um, because women are created in the image of God, and they deserve to be treated with this with respect yeah. and with um, with fullness of what it means to be human, mm. image image bearers. And yeah. same same with every race: um, black, white, Hispanic, Chinese. Um, like we all deserve to be treated because we are all image bearers. And I think this is that's that's the thing that I'm. Um, that I pray for every day since, um, you know, for, for years uh, now that, that the church would embrace its birthright of being um, the vehicle by which God has designed the kingdom of heaven to be brought among the peoples of the earth. Mm-hmm. There is no plan B. It is the body of Christ. Yeah, right. We are his, his army. We are the army um, of the king of um, the prince of peace. And uh, the, the world needs the Prince of Peace right now. Yeah. Um, mm. And I, I want to just share a story um, that um, where the gospel uh, overcame racism. Um, I, I had a privilege of <clears throat> seeing uh, God move in these ways in a, in a far-flung uh, corner of the planet where you had one village that was uh, a Muslim village and another village that was a, a Christian background uh, village, Christian in culture, really, um, and uh, just no concept of, of the gospel themselves, but, but culturally their heritage was, was Christian. And these, these two villages uh, over generations had escalated their feuding over uh, a mountaintop grazing land. And it got to the point where they were actually shooting at each other. Uh, the shepherds were shooting at each other because you brought your your sheep up here on the wrong day, and uh, you know the government would try and get involved and, and keep these people from um, killing each other and and hurting each other uh, over the grazing rights to that that prime uh, meadowland up there on top of the mountain. And in completely unknown to us, we we walked and and prayer prayer walked through these areas, and God allowed. Um, in the Christian background uh, village for one of the, the leaders, one of the elders of that village sent um, his son came to the town where we lived um, hours and hours away for uh, a course to be able to get some training. He was an educated young man by, by that village's standards. And <clears throat> he came to know uh, Christ and uh, we discipled him. He went back, led his father to faith, and uh, trained his father in, in the faith. And there were um, about 180 people in that, uh, that Christian background village that came to faith and were meeting together in homes and growing. 
and this guy is named, um, we'll just call him Michael. Michael was in this Christian village, and he was this elder whose son, David, was, um, had, we had discipled, and he, he was, um, from, almost from the first day that he came to faith, he started praying for the Muslim village, that, that God placed on his heart that that village also needed the gospel that he knew. Hmm. Um, and he just couldn't, he couldn't figure out how it was going to get over the mountain and over the hurdles of all of that racism. And uh, about a year after he was praying that, we took a trek into that Muslim village, totally not knowing what he'd been praying for. And, uh, and God had been preparing that. Uh, four years before, one of the elders in that Muslim village had had a vision of a man in white who said, I am Isa, which is the, um, the Arabic word for Jesus, and I will send to you from across the ocean someone who will tell you my story. Listen to that man. And so we come in, and, and he, uh, he actually named his youngest child Isa, which is how we even knew. So why did you name your child Isa or Jesus? And, uh, and he's like, well, let me tell you the story. And then of how I named him that, and then you can tell me the story that you were sent here to tell me about Isa. <laughs> Glory, <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. And then he was that's like, exciting. this kid is four years old. What took you four yeah, years? Right. You know, yeah, like, you you're, you're a little late. Uh, <laughs> wow. wow. So here we share the story of Jesus to this family. And nine people in that family came to faith that day. Uh, but we were already scheduled over the mountain, six hour hike away to go to Michael's village to make sure that we continued the discipleship and encouraged the, the believers there. And so we were like, I, we can't stay, but we'll come back in the next few days. So we hiked over the mountain. We walk into the, in after dark and, and Michael's waiting on the edge of the village. He's like a little worried that we fell off a cliff or something. And he's like, I'm glad you made it. It's after dark. Um, come in and eat. And we're like, and he's like, so why are you late? Well, um, <clears throat> we didn't have any issues on the, on the road. We actually, in that other village, this, this family came to faith. And he's like, yes, God has answered my prayer. I've been praying for this for a full year. And he's finally answered my prayer as though God was late about it. <laughs> he had an urgency. Uh, Michael had an urgency. And uh, the beautiful thing about that, that and, and there's so many more stories related to this, but um, over the course of the evening, he said, does my new brother in that village have a son who can read to him from the scriptures so that he might know more about Jesus? And that village didn't even have a school. The Muslim village didn't even have a school. And so we said, no, there's actually no one in his family. And, and uh, there's no one in that village who can read and write almost. Um, and he's like, he just was dejected all of a sudden. About midnight, like as we're all trying to get ready to go to bed, and we've been doing discipleship with them and encouraging the leaders of that, um, of that community, he says, I've got it. I've got three sons who are all older and who are all educated, and I, that's more than I need. So I'm, I'm going to give David to my new brother so that he might have a son who can disciple him and help him to know the things of Jesus. And so five o'clock in the morning, we wake up, hike the six hours back over, enter into this village where 
these guys ought to have shot it at each other. We get in there and I, you know, I'm freaking out about that because I've got volunteers from the States and I'm like, I'm going to get one of these guys shot. Um, (laughs) And we walk into this village and these two, these two men embrace who have been at opposite sides of, Mm -hmm. of a, of a literal war uh, feud. And he says, they get to the point in, and Michael says to the other guy, I give to you my son um, because you are in need of someone who might train and raise you up in the things of Jesus. And we are both family. So he's my son, and therefore he's your son because we are now family. Hmm. Wow. And, and David stayed with that in that family for, for the next eight months, training that family. Um, hmm. I mean, he, he would have stayed on longer, but um, he had to transfer for a, for a job um, thing. But the thing that we didn't know that, that God orchestrated was that that guy was the head of the, I don't know if you want to call it the pulpit committee for the mosques in that Muslim village. And so he was responsible for determining who preached at Friday prayers. And so he's like, I've got this. I'm going to preach from now on. <laughs> At, at Friday prayers, wow. and um, and so David would train. Uh, his name was Abba Yassim. David would train Abba Yassim, his new Muslim father, in whatever it was the discipleship lesson was, and then Abba Yassim would train that at mosque on Friday. Wow. And they changed all the names of the mosque. These are all mosques that are dedicated to Isa, and and all eight of them mm-hmm. became Isa mosques Isa in mosque. that in that village. It's glorious. Um, that is, that's the hope mm. of the gospel, to transcend race yeah. um, and to have power to see greater unity in Christ than there is separation in our otherness. Mm. Praise God. That's good. That's encouraging. I, I, feel, like we, I feel like we, we are in, in somewhere in that transition, you mm. know, and, and we're trying to cross that range. And I have, there was a, the picture in my mind is uh, of laboring or working uh, in a South Asian country in the middle of summer. And it was like 120 degrees, very dry. And I'd stopped drinking water, not because I intended to stop drinking water. It was busy. Uh, and somewhere I started noticing I would get really sharp, clear vision. And I could see clearly. And then moments it would pan out and get very blurry. And I just kept going, just kept going. And then finally it started getting more frequent and get really tight, good, clear vision. And then boom, back out blurry. And I realized, oh, you're you're dehydrated, you're passing mm. out, and finally passed out, uh, and then I was like, oh, you should be drinking stuff, so uh, th- th- that that's where I feel like I am with some of this, like I, having mm. a black sun has caused mm. me to see clearly some things, but other things start to crowd, crowd in, and my, my vision becomes blurry, and then moments mm. I'll see and hear something, my vision gets sharp and clear, and go, oh, that's the path, that's the way to go. Then something else crowds that out, and, and it gets blurry, whether it's a pressure or a mentality or a thought. And I feel like we're in this expanding and contracting where some things become very super clear, but then something else begins to crowd it out. And, and, and my prayer is that through discussions like this and awareness of this, we can begin to to get into a place where the vision is clear mm-hmm. and and good and tight mm-hmm. and 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 we walk in it and God provides that thing that spark, um, just like that story where the reconciliation of the gospel takes place. But we're not going to do it unless we don't talk about it and are and just frank about 
three white guys. So let's find a black guy who talk about it with yeah. us and yeah. and just keep pressing into yeah. it. And and pray about it. Yeah. Because yeah. these are not above God's ability to transcend. Amen. That's right. That's good. Guys, thank you for being willing to go off script today. It's good for my soul and hopefully good for anybody who'll hear Mine it today. Too. That's mm-hmm. right. Thanks guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Hey, thank you for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you with some feedback and perhaps some questions that you'd like us to tackle. We'll see you next week. And until then, deuces.